Welcome and happy Friday. It's May 13th, 2016, Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th, everyone. This is Travelogue, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Brad Rickman. I'm here with Lilith Marcus, who's an editor for our website, and also special guests Anna Drazen and Todd Dakota Briscoe. Did I get those right? Yeah. We, Almost yeah, right? Basically. Close? Yeah. Drazen. Yeah. Drazen. Rhymes with present. Okay, which we did not. We did. Have you a have a did. pink flamingo. This is more than a present. Um, um, you guys can't see this, but there's an inflatable pink flamingo drink holder on the table. I've I would like to thank much. the Conrad New York Hotel for sending that to me for no reason because I love it. <laughs> no, because they knew we needed to hold the drink. It's like today. they know who I am. Wait, a hotel in New York sent you something branded for Sydney, Australia? They're expanding. <laughs> okay, okay. And changing and changing the name to Sunny Life. We'll put a photo of the flamingo drink tray on the site. Anna and Todd are the authors of a forthcoming book called How May We Hate You? Um, Notes from the Concierge Desk. And it's coming next Tuesday, right? Yeah. May 17th. Yep. May 17th. That's the fr- due date. From Potter Style. And so today we're going to talk about these guys and about the book and about concierges generally. You guys have an interesting background. You were not necessarily born dreaming of the service industry. No. That's correct. We both met at NYU Tisch School of the Arts, or as we're calling it in all of our blurbs, Tisch School of Make-Believe. Yep. We took classes in things like rolling on the ground. And like getting yelled at by like a former professional clown. So when we graduated, we could wait tables, which I was too sensitive and clumsy to do. And I like would fall asleep and smother a kid. Like I think... I will do that at some point. So we couldn't nanny. No. So. But doesn't getting yelled at by a clown make you pretty good at being a concierge? Like, that's good training, right? I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard to respect someone who doesn't have an MFA, but. It does feel like an acting exercise of like a clown yelling at you and you cannot react. You cannot react. Yeah. You it's are like, baby, I love you, hotel. but you just can't smile, like writ large. <laughs> wow. I love that game. I haven't thought about that. Exactly. It's, exa- it's like, baby, I love you, but I hate you. And also, there's uh, hair in my room. It's a different game. So, how, how did, did you we... end up becoming so, hotel concierge? Yeah. So, how, what was the path from there? to the concierge desk. Well, I was waiting tables for a very short amount of time. I dropped an entire garnish Bloody Mary on a woman's head and she was wearing beige from head to toe. So I was like, I can't do this anymore. People are going to get hurt. I just don't want to kill anyone. And um, there were concierges that would come into the restaurant and they suggested a concierge company that was hiring like actors and other creative types. So I went there and got a job. And then I started posting about things that would happen at the hotel on Facebook and Twitter, and Todd saw that, and then... And at that time, I had gone three months working as a real estate agent, making oh almost no money because I couldn't find it in me to blatantly lie to people's faces, so I... Uh, direct messaged Anna through Twitter, and I was like, is your hotel hiring? And she got me a job as a concierge. What drew you to it? Was it the fact that these guys were hiring actors? Which is an interesting thing in and of itself. Yeah. Do you, do you know why they were doing that? It's not in-house concierges. So, like, if a hotel itself were hiring a concierge, they'd want somebody maybe who went to school for hospitality or who's already had experience in other smaller cities. But this was more of a sales kind of company. They mm. sold tickets and tours. I think they just hired people who had more flexible schedules. And also because it's not an in-house concierge, the pay is lower. So the people that they can keep on retainer are not your first string, I guess. Uh, 
I, Why did you feel like this was the right place for you to go after the real estate? Thing? I've always loved the travel industry. And even in high school, I remember applying for hotel jobs, but they only wanted people who were 18. Mm. I've always liked the travel industry. I really enjoy tourism in New York City. I am very active in going out and doing things. So I did think I had somewhat of an expertise for it. At the same time, it is flexible hours. And as I wanted to become a writer, it's also a job where I'm not running around putting things on tables. I'm standing behind a desk in front of a computer. So I hoped, and I was correct, that it might give me some time to actually write. And when was the Tumblr blog born out of this? Both of us were posting on Facebook, just our personal Facebook and Twitter for the duration of when we worked there. But then I think we sort of decided to join forces in 2013 over the summer. And we're both kind of like, we should start a blog. We should start a blog. I think we had a day where we realized that our stories were good enough that we should combine forces and try to make it something bigger than just posts. Yeah, and we're both comedians and writers, and we have similar aesthetics. Like, we laugh at the same kinds of things. We vibed. Um, <laughs> so. so I feel like you're probably not allowed to tell us what hotel you worked for, but did you guys work at the same one? Have you worked at multiple hotels? How much is this coming from, I guess is what I'm asking. We have never worked together a day in our lives, which really surprises people because I think people imagine us behind the desk, like, yucking it up together, and it never. We no. never actually stood next to each other and worked. Our company would specifically not put two snarky people together. <laughs> yeah. I mainly worked at one hotel through the duration of this, but we have both worked in a few different properties, which is kind of great because we do have perspective on how very drastically different hotels at different room rates yeah, you get yeah. into that in the book a little bit and probably on the blog as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I floated around more because I worked part-time for most of it, so they would use me to fill gaps in the schedule. So there were weeks where I was working at six different hotels over four days, which is nuts. You know, like go to one hotel, cover somebody's lunch, go back, and then get a call that someone called out sick from another hotel, so I go there. But I think that's what makes the stories more interesting. I feel like it's not a faulty towers that's all just about like one sort of crazy hotel. It's these almost universal experiences. Like I bet concierges in other countries and other parts of the world probably have some stories that are similar to yours. And I feel like you see certain patterns and trends start to emerge. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because uh, when people travel, they're disoriented and they're out of their element. And the concierge is hailed as like, bring your most basic questions to this person. So you're really seeing someone at their most raw, I guess. Yeah. You guys get right into it, and it's a theme throughout the book that there are many misconceptions about what a concierge is. And so you kind of start the book nailing down what that is. You develop that little chart that mm -hmm. is very funny and that goes through. What is a concierge? A concierge is essentially your keys to the city. At one point, I think we say the front desk is there to help you with anything that's happening inside the hotel, and the concierge should help you with anything that is outside the hotel. Your transportation, if you want tickets, you know, advice about getting around, that type of thing. Like where to go for dinner. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. like airport stuff, how long to leave to get to certain flights, helping with check-in. Googling yeah. what the weather is for you. Just that Googling type of the weather. Thing. Yeah. I'd say about 50% of people who talk to us were just like, oh, I, the concierge is there and no one's talking to them. So I should go like try out this amenity because it was listed on the site and we've already paid for it. So like, let me just 
lob them a softball question and then wander away and do whatever I was going to do anyway. Well, I feel like I'm seeing a ton of stories in hospitality where the word concierge is used for everything now. Like Mm -hmm. there's a story about a hotel in Belfast that has a water concierge who brings you different kinds of tap water and you tell them which one you'd like the most in your room or a flower concierge that chooses the flowers for you. Um, There was a a beer concierge. concierge. Yeah. Those are sort of subverting the definition of a concierge because they're things that are inside the hotel. It's what Mm -hmm. flowers or what drinks would you like to have inside your room? I think the beer concierge would at least tell you what bar you could go to based on what kind of beer you were into. But I think because of quirky job descriptions like that one, it means that no one really knows what a concierge is supposed to do. Well, talking about how we would work at very different hotels, there would be one where you would get there and they said, here are the boxes that you have to package and ship. And you would go to another one where they would say, you can't print their boarding passes. You can't do this for them. You can't do that for them for whatever reasons the hotel had. So, I mean, our own job descriptions given to us would vary from hotel to hotel. So the term concierge drastically can vary from hotel to hotel and country to country. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Especially in Belfast, it's a smaller city. So the concierges tend to do more in those smaller cities. And like if you're staying in a small family bed and breakfast, I guess bed and breakfast wouldn't have that. It would just be like a kindly old woman with a tray. But like (laughs) the smaller properties. And now a lot of the, um, like the, business chain hotels, they just have a front desk agent who gets your car, who does concierge stuff, who takes your bags. There was hotels where I had to lift people's bags and put them on the shelves in the storage room. But the word concierge, I think, is really more of a, it just means in some cases, it's more like an adjective. Like it's somebody who attunes their work exactly to what you casually want. (laughs) Like, but you, you guys know. in that in that chart, I was wondering as I was reading through, is everything in here something that you actually saw or heard from colleagues? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So these are all true. They're all true stories. The guest interactions happened to us. Sometimes there would be things you'd be working with someone and they'd say, this one time this happened. We didn't put any of those guest interactions in, but you, you know, the things that people request, the crazy things, they definitely do happen. And that's kind of amazing. That is reason enough for people to pick up this book because it's, it, there's some unbelievable stuff in there. And I liked the chart that you put because it sort of separates between things that are just basically part of the job generally without any extra stuff. Then you've got the middle column, which is things that are not really part of the job, but you'll try to help people with. And then you've got the the stuff that people just, you're not going to do that. That's well, bit- some of those in that third chart are fake. I don't think anyone's asked us to apply condoms to them. I think that's one uh, of no, the jokes. Yeah, no one's asked like us a, to do that. No, but, but. close, but you know, um, <laughs> someone did ask if they could use their concealed weapons permit uh, to get married the next day. Without the picture on it. Yeah. Um, which just sounds like a problem uh, in general. Yeah, I mean, the other thing to remember is like, this is a your mileage may vary kind of thing. Like if you go to the Pierre, your concierge is going to do, I mean, I don't want to sell them out, but like if you go to a a five-star hotel, it's going to be a much different experience. This is like, I'm going on vacation to Philadelphia with my husband and our two kids. What can I expect? You kind of get at this a little bit too, which is that the proliferation of concierges into the more chain hotels has raised people's expectations, and I think the way you put it in the book is kind of nice, that, that, which has led to more disappointed people because people are misunderstanding what the concierge is there for. And I'm wondering, how does that misunderstanding look to you from the inside? The people who had unreasonable requests, part of me wants to sympathize that when a guest is disappointed, um, but the people who had like unreasonable requests, I don't feel that bad for because I know I'm not going to spend the next five hours planning your 
travel itinerary for the next four months, which is something that happened, and he was very upset that I wouldn't do the work of his personal assistant. But when I have a hotel full of 400 other people, no, I'm not going to do it, and I don't feel bad. But you know I will I mean? say, on the other side of that coin, there was a hotel that I worked at where it was understood that part of the job was this one guest who lived there. You had to print out press releases, six or seven a day, just every day, just print them all out, and you had to physically go online and find them. And that was just part of the job. So that that's an example of like <laughs> different places where it changes. But I mean, yeah. in general, like I would almost be relieved when it was a ridiculous request because it was like, oh, this is an easy decision for me to make. The line is very clear. It's It was harder for me when it was like really on the line. Yeah. What's an example of an on the line? That's a good question. Like uh, they wanted me to book a stretch limo and they didn't seem super convinced that they were going to really do it when they needed it very short notice. It's harder when you don't know that it's doable and you don't want to get their hopes up because then they get angry at you. Was there ever a point where you could almost look at someone and based on their expression, kind of know what they were about to ask you for? 100%. Absolutely. So what's an example? If they were looking up behind you at the posters, they're going to ask about theater tickets. If they're looking kind of left and right, that means that they're going to ask about restaurants because they're like, ah, concierge, yeah, New York City Steakhouse, huh? What can I do? This is a terrible confession. This is a confession that proves what kind of a terrible person I am. But my hotel would have a terrible problem with huge lines at the front desk. The hotel was very poor at managing the front desk lines because they wouldn't hire enough people to do it. I could not check people in. It was against my job description. It was against the front desk union. I you don't. Could you need not. like a physical machine to do it. You don't have it there. And so people would storm over to me and be like, give me a manager. So I'd go back and get a manager who would say... I can't, I have to go to the front desk and check people in because we don't have enough people. So I got in the habit, if I saw a long line at the front desk and I saw someone storm down with their two bags, I kept the hotel phone on speed dial so I could call the hotel and have a phone conversation with my cell phone so that I didn't have to deal with the guest. Uh. That was a moment of always, I saw their body language, they saw the they saw the line, then they looked right to me because I didn't have a line and that was my defense mechanism. That's genius, yeah. I used to do a similar thing I don't know if it's still up, but there used to be a hotline called Call and Oats. Uh, it's an automated menu that says, thank you for calling Call and Oats, your automated Hall and Oats hotline. For rich girl, press one. For man, you press two. And I would just listen to it, and it would sound like I was on hold. But then they'd be like, you're on hold. I can talk to you anyway. And then I'd be like, oh, no. But I'm listening to Hall and Oats, so it was great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to survive somehow. <laughs> yeah, Todd is better at it than I was. A lot of encounters that you seem to have seem to be people looking for things that the internet would have solved for them. I guess that that's all real. I was surprised by how sort of illiterate people seemed with basic Google searching and, like you said, searching for the weather or tickets or any of these kinds of things. Yeah. You were shocked by that. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes people would say, hey, I read this online. Can you verify that? And I'm not going to judge them for asking me a question. You know what I mean? I really don't judge that. But when people would come up to me looking at their smartphones and ask me to Google things, it really did make me want to pull my hair out. A lot of it was address related, like really easy, basic stuff of, of there's a story, what, of going around the corner? Do you remember the story? Yes. Literally, 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 it was walk outside, turn to your right, cross the street. And eventually I had to walk them downstairs to point out how to do that. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they were jet lagged. You know what I mean? Maybe they're going through something really sad at the moment and they just can't think straight. 
but at the same time, it's walk outside, turn right. Yeah. Walk outside, turn and right. And I think Anna's point from before, like travel is a really alienating experience for a lot of people. You're in an unfamiliar place. Maybe you're speaking a language that's not your first language. You're disoriented. You're jet lagged. You're tired. You're nervous. You're kind of scared. You don't trust yourself. I think travel can be a really overwhelming experience for a lot of people. And what happens, I think, to a concierge is like you're the first line of defense. Yeah. And I, if you're you're eating different food, you're drinking different water, you're tired, you're in a, a room that smells different than yours does. Yeah, and, and I'm the same way. I get very lost when I go places, so I just had to constantly remind myself that. But something that I discovered about halfway through my 10 years of concierge is that a lot of people come to New York specifically for medical treatments. So you'd have families coming for a week because they're having like neurosurgery on Tuesday. So it's like, okay, if you're going to be snippy with me, it's because you're worried about your husband's brain's getting digged around in tomorrow, you know, like that made a big difference for me. And kids too, like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. kids coming for surgery. Like, I'm not going to be mad at you. That's the saddest thing in the world. So as you're doing the blog and as you were doing the book, how did you sort of decide which interactions you would put in those, you know, contexts where you're, you're making comedy out of it? Cause it's, it's a comic blog basically. And it's a, it's a comedy book or it's a funny book anyway. And the ones that you sort of left out, where were those lines for you guys? There are definitely some that haven't even been put on the blog that just sit in our drafts on Tumblr where I look back at them and I go, oh, that's not funny. It's just you were upset and it's venting. There's no comedy in it. I think we looked for the ones where it was ridiculous, where you could laugh either at the miscommunication, you can laugh at us, or you could laugh at the absurdity of what this person's asking. The posts that people responded to the most were ones where it has one clear idea of what's happening. It's not like this funny thing and then that and then this, Um, which is a big reason why we don't use a lot of the submissions that we get because it's sort of like wandering between like three different sort of ridiculous things. Like it has to be something that's understandable and consumable in like one specific moment. And it also has to be ridiculous to anyone. It can't just be like, oh, can you believe they didn't know that you need to dial nine to get out? on the phone. It has to be relatable for people who have never even stayed in hotels. One thing that I found really interesting, I mean, we just talked about try to Google yourself before you ask someone if you have data on your phone. Don't expect other people to plan your entire trip for you. But then you run the risk of the over planners. And you guys talk about like the people who think they can do three tours in a day or the person who thinks that they can fit in a five hour walking tour when their flight's at 10 o'clock in the morning. How often did you run into interference with those people? That would make me so nervous when people are like, our flight's at two and we want to go to the Intrepid and it's like 12. I'm like, oh my God, you need to be at the airport right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think over planners it kind of runs the line because you want, like you've already taken the time off work, you've bought the airplane tickets, you've played for the hotel and you're gonna be paying more for meals. Like you might as well know what you're gonna do. So you're not spending that time planning. So I get it. But also like sometimes we get people who come up to us with these, like a stack of vouchers for tours that they already booked and say like, here, I need you to call all of these places to confirm our tour time. And that was, that was the biggest problem with the over planners. My only problem with the over planners is when They've read like the five books about New York and they've done all this research. But the thing about New York City is it's always changing. I walked by the apartment where I used to live in Midtown and it's a, it's a hotel now. And I was I was so surprised because that happened probably within the past three months. It's an ever changing city. So a restaurant that's open today could easily be shut down by the health department in two days. 
And it was my job to keep on top of that thing. And I would have these people come in with, like, their guidebooks that they bought at Barnes & Noble from 2014. And they would sit there and argue with me about something. And I'm like, no, it's changed. The city has changed since then. This is how it is now. And they just wouldn't listen because they've done their research. They know. Yeah, and the rate of change is speeding up, too. Like, I had a friend tell me that in five years, the entire professional driving industry is going to be gone because we're going to have robot cars. (laughs) So... You know, there was was also a particular stereotype in the book that really hit hard for me because I think I saw a little bit of myself in it. And that was the person who used to live in New York. Uh, (laughs) I I used to live in London. And every time I go back now, I think I know what I'm doing, but I don't actually know what I'm doing. And I get really touchy about it. It's like, of course, the Jubilee line goes there. I used to live here. I'm not some common tourist. And the truth Mm -hmm. is, actually, the Jubilee line totally doesn't go there. And why did I think that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I think that. Both of those examples, the ex-New Yorkers, but also the over-planners who read a million books, I think people still associate New York City with being scary and everybody being out to scam you. And that comes up a lot with travel. It's like, how do I not get ripped off? And there's this natural fear of a new place anyway. And I think that's what ends up coming out is people who kind of hyper prepare or get defensive about it. Yeah, there's a lot of fear. And like, I think the ex-New Yorkers, the reason they get touchy about it is because if they don't remember something, that means that that part of their life is gone and like time is marching forward and they're like staring down their own tombstone. Like, I'm pretty sure that was what was happening in that moment. But like, yeah, I mean, especially if they live there like during an important period of their life or when they were younger. Yeah, that's and that was a lot of the people. It was like that was when I was like young and crazy and could live in a studio. But now I, you know, I have a front lawn and stuff. So um, and three kids and I yeah, can't exactly. go anymore. Yeah, yeah I mean, sad. I still live in New York, but the bar that I used to go to that was my local five years ago has changed ownership and has a different name now. And like just walking past it makes me sad. Right. I have the same thing with that bar Acme on uh, on Bowery. It used to be a divey bar and now it's like Acme and it's yeah. all fancy. I th- yeah, you're totally right that New York is one of the most disorienting places to be, especially in Times Square, especially if you're not from here and people are just trying to feel like they have a handle on it. And the fear about like being like ripped off, I think that's legitimate, but I think people have to remember sometimes that they approached me, I didn't like harass <laughs> right. them in Times Square about it. Yeah. <laughs> Use my concierge services. Yeah. Maybe I, if things get bad. Right, I can you're not that, one of though. those you're not one of those guys walking up to the taxi queue at the airport like, "Hey, you want a lift?" Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's our like one of our top tips is the more eager someone or something is to sell you on it, you're probably getting ripped off. It's sort of like when you see a commercial for milk and they're like, our cows are great. It's so healthy. I'm like, yeah, but you bought airtime. You have a national commercial. Like, I don't trust you. But to be clear, what you're talking about is kickbacks, right? Uh, or at least in the book there, you you guys touch on this a bunch of times. Like, what is the kickback scene? Is that real? It's yeah. real. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely real. And, I, and is that you go to them or they come to you? How does that act- arrangement it's all actually different. get made? For the, I, I have some friends I deeply respect who are very good at that hustle of if they weren't at work, they would go restaurant to restaurant really? and be like, hand out their business cards. Yeah. I was never that bold to do that. But if I had a friend who I knew was working with someone, I'd be like, I, w- I went in on that. Do you have guidelines? Did you did you have personally guidelines like ethical? Like I will not recommend this type of place or like I. Well, our company, we were not permitted to make our own arrangements, and that's a fireable offense. So like I just sort of didn't for most of it, but yeah, there were like steakhouses would come by with like slices of cake and stuff and like business cards, and we'd be like worship them forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So like that's fine, but then like they drop off envelopes of cash and. 
are, which is like untraceable. But my coworker sent one back, and I'll never forgive her. So for sure, I I did draw some ethical lines. Like if people came back and said that's bad, I don't want. If I have consistently angry guests, it's not good for me. I'm not going to win anything except like a little bit of cash. So I made sure it was places that people came back and said I liked it. So it was nice because I did have some confidence in the places I was recommending. The only time I was like, "Mm, I don't know what I was doing is like strip clubs. There was one strip club that gave me a ton of cash and I don't go to strip clubs. I had no (laughs) idea what I was recommending, but I'd always be like, happy when they came back. (laughs) I I was never there when they came back. And they would ask me like, also, I'm gay. And they would ask me these most disgusting questions oh. and I would just go I'm getting $20 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm getting $20 out of this $20 per person that was probably my like most ethical like gray area but in terms of ethics also what about um, you have an interesting thing in the book about what people ask you for versus what they really want and I think it's interesting because sometimes there's psychology involved. Like they might say, oh, I want a really cool mixology bar, but then they don't end up ordering any fancy cocktails. It's just that they really want to go to a place that seems like it has that. One of my least favorite questions, two of my least favorite questions are, what's a good club and can you recommend a family-friendly restaurant? Because those are two things that mean drastically different things to people. There are some people, when they say a club, they want, um, like, where Jay-Z and Beyonce got in the fight in that elevator. They want, like, the most posh club. Some people, when you say a club, they want this bar that's down the street. You know, it, it Or, like, means- the Yale Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Same thing with, like, a family-friendly restaurant. Family-friendly restaurant to some people means a diner, you know what I mean? Something where their kids can scream. For some people it means something that's a theme restaurant, like Mars 2112, which is closed, you know what I mean? But like something that is like for children. And then some people say family friendly and they mean a really nice steakhouse that isn't going to be mad if we do bring kids. So family friendly is an incredibly vague term. Yeah, You had to kind of guess what people actually meant or ask questions to it. And piggybacking off of that, my least favorite question is where would you go? It's like, (laughs) I'm a like I'm in my twenties and I live in a like a garbage can. Like I'm, I, I'm going home. I only date <laughs> dog walkers. Like we're not gonna go to the same bar. You know what I mean? Like that's like I'm gonna go somewhere that is like crappy and like has actual sawdust on the floor. Like, like wherever don't. I would go involves taking the L train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, I mean not to brag, but um, yeah, no, it's like I mean to the end, but. Yeah, it's not <laughs> yeah, yeah. within walking distance of the hotel, and it's not cool, and it's not where you want to go. So, what was the psychology of that moment for you? Would you try to assess? How would you try to assess who are you talking to, and what are they really looking for? Um, I would say like, I contain multitudes. Um, no, I would say like, oh, all different places. Like, it depends. Like, what are you? Do you want to dress up? Like, do you just want to get a beer? Do you want to watch the game? Do you want to get food? You yeah. usually vague stuff answer questions with questions, like find out more. That was like a big part of our job was just asking them questions to kind of get more info. Cause every single person, it's like, you're saying like different people from different places who look different are going to ask for the same thing. And we can kind of code switch and know what they're talking about. <laughs> like how long did it take person. you to get to that point? Like how many years is it, or months or weeks or whatever to before you could sort of a couple read months, like that. I guess. I, I think that we're pretty good at reading people. Yeah. I, I, I think that we're better at reading people. We than have very low self-esteem, so we're like very keyed into what people are up to. <laughs> and this may um, be why they were looking for actors. Maybe they had yeah. figured that out. <laughs> we have a victim mentality. Um, <laughs> yeah. How is this person going to make fun of me? <laughs> um, 
it was kind of fun though because it's sort of like a matching game. Mm -hmm. It's like a fill in the blank. Like, oh, it's a you know seven girls from outside of Dublin who are like living their Sex in the City dream. Like, this is fun. Like, I know what place they're gonna go to that they're gonna like squeal and take an Instagram photo. Like, it's Lucky Chang's, right? It's close. Oh yeah, no, it's in it's in Midtown now, right? I think yeah. so. Them and Lips are going head to head. And how much just fucking with people did you do? Like you just get in a mood and like oh, not I'm just much. But you never sent anyone to the Olive Garden and told them that it was a fancy American restaurant. Like never. I mean, it is one, so like I don't know what you're after. No, because Olive Garden never paid me. Also, so. it's an authentic Italian restaurant, so <laughs> I love the Olive Garden. I don't know what else to say, but um, but yeah, we they did pay her. <laughs> they, <laughs> they did. Didn't pay you, I'm but they didn't made pay of breadsticks. Um, <laughs> I'm just covered in a sheen of garlic salt. Um, <laughs> I um, yeah. I mean, there are certain places like if on open table it was in a thousand point table, which is the, usually is a hundred, and then when you get five thousand, you get like a twenty dollar gift card or whatever. There were times where I'd be like, "Well, I know you said you wanted a steakhouse at seven thirty, but what about like a weird Italian place at six thirty? Mm-hmm. There were times where I try to push them into that, but yeah, it's like Todd was saying, like you don't want them to come back and yell at you. I don't want an upset guest in my face. That's not worth $5. Um. But what about the people, like maybe the over-preparers or the people who've been before who want to go to that one restaurant that all the celebrities go to and they probably aren't going to be able to get a table for? How do you manage that expectation for them? Like, oh, this place fills up a month in advance and you need a secret password and you it's Hamilton. <laughs> then yeah. what do you tell them? It's a restaurant that also has <laughs> Hamilton in it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, that's like what I was saying before, where it's like, oh, that's a hard no, that's easy. I can tell you what it is. I can call the reservationist. I can talk to them, and they're going to tell me that it's not available. You know, like, and I do it, and then that's that. But um, that, what was that, that? I feel like after reading the book, that wasn't always that. No, the, well, that was pa- frustrating when I tell them, when I try to insist, like, you can't get a party of 15 into uh, Bobo tonight. It's Friday at 8 o'clock, you can't get in, and I call, and they'd be like, we just had something open up. And you're like, God damn it. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. With that one, you just have to kind of go through the motions. And it's just frustrating because you because you know you're going to be on the phone with River Cafe or Bobo quite frequently for 15 minutes. Because some restaurants, I do think, play games with the reservations line where they just let it. I'm, I'm pretty positive. They have to. They just let it ring for 15 minutes so that they can build up this, you know, oh, it takes 15 minutes to get through to them, I which I drives me crazy. And then you get through to them and they're like, what time? No, nothing. Fully booked. And it's like so frustrating. But you have to go through those motions for the guest. Otherwise, you just, they call you lazy. And you then know? you're not the one saying no. Exactly. Exactly. They have proof yeah. that somebody else said no. Go ask your father. Exactly. The only time I would ever, like, I feel like I was messing with someone is if someone would just come up and, like, start berating me and, like, demand a manager without, like, any, like, can we have a conversation? May I ask what manager? What is the problem without like problem solving? Just yelling and get me a manager or people who wouldn't want to wait in the right line. Then, if I had to leave my desk and go find a manager, I, it might take me a little bit of time because I would sometimes stop at Dwayne Reed on my way to find the manager. Maybe I would go into a bookstore on the way to find a manager. Maybe it might take me a little bit longer than if you would come up and nicely explain the situation and ask for a manager. More psychology. Yeah, and that's something we've written about before too. Like what is the secret to actually getting the best effort from the person on the other side? 
being nice, being nice and explaining your situation. Jana Malari, I hope you're listening. Is so I say that I say I say this thing about like going out of my way to be kind of a jerk to these jerk guests. But at the same time, I would go out of my way to guests who had expressed, you know, I've lost my luggage. We've flown here from London. You know what I mean? Where can you help us out? People who are nice, you know what I mean? People who, and I'm not saying that gave me money as a tip. I didn't need that. But people who would ask how my day was and were friendly and would come back and say, we love that restaurant. Thank you so much, Todd. Those people, I would go out of my way and send them amenities to their room, that type of thing. I would speak to my friends at the front desk to be like, what can we do for them? Can we comp them a breakfast or something like that? And it's it's little things like just being nice. Yeah. For any guest who ever lost bags that had medication or breast milk in it, you can just call me at the C word to my face like a bunch. Like you can just act however you want. If your insulin is somewhere in JFK, like let loose. Yeah. That's so, the only instance. So Todd mentioned tipping and that is one thing I want to bring up because it is such a question that I think a lot of people have about what's appropriate, what isn't appropriate. Does it look like I'm trying to bribe you? Should I wait until after I've come back from the restaurant and I love it and I want to say thank you? Can can we walk a little bit through the etiquette of where and how to tip? There would be certain people that would approach me and like be holding this $20 bill in between their fingers and like kind of pointing their fingers at me while talking to me. And I just, it didn't make me go, ooh, what a nice guest. <laughs> it made me go, I don't want to deal with you. Can you please talk to my friend? Because you're going to be difficult and you're going to have probably unreasonable expectations versus the people who would genuinely tip me for a good job, which I would appreciate. Yeah, I would say if the we do have a flowchart in the book to help you figure out when you should tip your concierge. Oh my gosh, she got it. Yeah, Yeah, it's (laughs) very scientific. Um, I would say yeah, if you feel like you ask them for more than seven things or talk to them for more than ten minutes on two occasions, throw them five dollars. But yeah, I also like I had a man throw a crumpled up dollar bill at my chest. So just don't do that, you know? Like, if that's how you give people money, then maybe don't do Gesture of love. Mm-hmm. I felt very safe in that moment. <laughs> there, I had this one adorable Australian couple come up to me one time, and they were so nervous and talking to me the entire time. They were so nervous and so nervous and so nervous. And at the end of every interaction, they would look at each other, and I could, like, their their eyes said, do we do, do, we do this? Do we, do we tip them? Do we tip them? And every time, they would just hand me a $5 bill. And after, like, interaction four, I, I wanted to be, like, No, no, you guys, you're so nice. You don't have to keep handing me a $5 bill. But of course, I didn't say that to them. And I kept taking (laughs) that. So you got $20 more. Healthcare, like, come on, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And and is, is there a penalty for not tipping? No, not for me. Not really. I mean, like, if I planned your elopement and you were also rude. You you did, right? Yeah. You planned a wedding. Yeah, I mean, like, it's hard. Like, people are like, let's elope. Oh, well, let's just bring our parents. Well, let's bring our siblings. Oh, they're bringing their kids. And then it's like, oh, this is not elopement. This is like a small wedding. Um, Yeah, that was very rare. And I usually enjoyed it. But if I... Wait, did it happen more than once? I planned... Yeah, there were like... And by plan, I mean like transportation, flowers, um, restaurant. And did they tip you? Never. Really? Wow. You gotta be no. kidding me. That because is a profession unto itself. Most of them were nice and also it's like kind of fun. I'm like in my, you know, early twenties at the time, like, oh, this is fine, like maybe this happened for me one day. <laughs> like they're like having their wedding in New York. It's already very expensive, I guess. But um yeah, I also helped a guy propose. A, a lot of proposals, a lot of like 
Um, I had a Tiffany's like lookbook in my desk for a guy because he was going to propose to his girlfriend, but didn't want it to be in the room. Um, so, and have you ever had? I mean, I know it's really fun to talk about some of the crazy stories, but um, it sounds like there were a couple of great guests who you had really positive relationships with. Like, I love the little detail about kids who would leave stuffed animals behind. I had a girl who come, I hated working on Christmas. It really depressed me to work on Christmas. It really did. And I, I did it for four years in a row and missed my family so much. And this like little girl came up to me on Christmas morning and she gave me a Christmas present. And I just <gasps> oh. remember being like, I have faith in humanity oh because of this God. little girl. She That's was adorable. So yeah. And, and then there would be like, you know, for me, I really identified a little bit with like the older guests, people kind of around my parents' age who... Maybe this is the first time they've really had the opportunity to travel. And I I really, you know, try to go out of my way for guests like that who were excited and nice and maybe a little bit scared and um, would bond with them. And if they had a good time, like that was – it's a genuinely good feeling when you have made someone happy. Yeah, yeah. I agree with older people and kids for sure. Easier to <laughs> empathize with people not of your generation yeah, I had a woman in her 80s who took me to two operas because I helped her. <laughs> she was supposed to be traveling with her daughter, but her daughter got held up at work in the UK. And so she was just there on her own. And she like lived in a very small, she lived on a farm. Uh, so I was like her caretaker. But then, yeah, I mean, we still, she sends me a Christmas card every year and we still email. It's easy to forget how interesting the job is, how many people we're meeting and how they're from all over the world that they are cool cool stories also. I had like an older Argentinian couple that I also helped that they got me a necklace that's like very sweet. Another one of my favorite stories about guests I bonded with is I was very bored and it was a really slow night and these two teenage girls came up to me with their mother and their mother was like, um, One Direction is in town and they're wanting to know if you can help them find where One Direction is staying. And I spent like an hour and a half like on Harry Styles' Twitter, like looking at his photos and like where they were and like putting the pieces together. And like, I was like, okay, you've seen here, here. And I like had a map and I was drawing out where One Direction was. And I think it might've been like really bad weather. And that's why we were all so bored this night. Um, but I was able to find where One Direction was staying because I found a paparazzi photo that says James Corden meets uh, Harry Styles across the street from their hotel. And it was the Apple store down uh, in the meatpacking <laughs> district. So I was like, what hotel is down there? And that's how I figured it out. Oh, my that God. Was nice. that's, that was I had fun. a very similar story that was less impressive. <laughs> that a teenage girl wanted me to help her find the physical location of a Vine star. <laughs> um, and I was like, it wasn't even just the hotel. She wanted to know where he physically was at that moment. But isn't that easy? Like, isn't he just, like, posting every single thing about what he's doing at every moment? Yeah, I, I That's guess, what the youths have led me to believe. Yeah, I, I, but the thing is, Todd is a much better concierge than I was because he figured it out, and I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, so. <laughs> well, what if Harry Creep. Styles had been at your hotel? Were there things in place, like, were you, did you get a heads up that, hey, maybe a certain guest doesn't want to be bothered, or if you get any questions, like, please refer them to somebody else? Uh, we'd get a VIP list that would say, like, who the person was and what they did. And fake names? Were there fake names? It was usually registered by their company or whoever, like I, their management. I never had fake names. Usually it was pretty upfront. I feel like the bigger the person and the bigger the celebrity, the like least hassle there was about it. And it was like the C. Examples. Lance Bass. 
stayed at my hotel. And it was great because they also, because VIPs are also like surgeons and like fancy people. So they put the profession there too. So it was like Lance Bass singer. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's what he does. 50. Oh, that Lance Bass. Oh my God, Space Lance. He I lives in space now. I won't say what hotel 50 Cent stays at, but 50 Cent <laughs> stays at the hotel you would least expect. And I really can't say what it is, oh but I wish I could say what it is because oh imagine where you think he'd stay and then go the opposite and that's where he stays. Wow. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm guessing it's the kind of place where it's like floral wallpaper and yeah. like I'm framed say pictures Suites. of cats. A lot of molding. You're both, I mean, you're all, you we're all thinking the same thing. We're all on the same page. <laughs> quality in. No, quality in is very modular, very <laughs> modern. So what's next for you guys? The book comes out next Tuesday, and then what are you guys going to do? Are we're, you? St- I, I assume you're, you're not still working as concierges, or no, you are? No, we're not. We're gonna um, next. We're gonna get into a convertible and hold hands and just Drive gun it straight off the Thelma cliff. and Louise. It. Yeah, we're gonna kill ourselves. It was a good um, time. Yeah, <laughs> we're done. Met now. a lot of interesting people. <laughs> we did it. You guys Lance got to be among them. We shot yeah, them and that's it. Go into space exactly. where he lives. Um, yeah, I, we're both comedians, so we have a lot of shows. I'm a stand-up, and I do sketch and improv. Um, I have another book coming out later this year uh, with Reductress, which is like the Onion, like a fake Cosmo. Um, so it's called How to Win at Feminism. That's out in October. Um, I might be in a Verizon commercial, but I don't think they're going to use it. Um, Where can people come hear you? Yeah, I, you can go to my website, AnnaDresden.com. It's got my tour dates on it. Um, oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm doing a show every week this summer called Political Subversities. We're a sketch comedy group that's been on MSNBC and a few other things. And we've kind of taken some years off, but we're back because of the election season. So <sighs> that's mainly where I'm going to be the next few months. Yeah, I would imagine. It's yeah. really good. This is a good one for you. Exactly. Right it's it's our guy. season. It's our time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I would see Todd in Political Subversities shows when I was younger and just admire him a lot. But there was huh. not a, the, there was no election cycle like this election cycle is going to be. It's kind of insane. It's it, like it's an actual really cartoon. Amazing. Yeah, you're very excited. Well, that will do it for us this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We're also on SoundCloud. Thanks to you guys, Anna and Todd, for showing up. Um, Everybody should check out the book. It is called How May We Hate You. It comes out next Tuesday, and it is on Potter Style. And uh, you should also visit us on cntraveler.com. We're at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. And CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Where can the people find you guys? You just mentioned a website, Anna. Yeah, AnnaDresden.com or AnnaDresden on Twitter. Cool. I'm ToddDakotaBriscoe.com or at ToddDakota. And Dakota has a weird spelling. There's an H at the end of my name. So it's Todd Dakota with an H at the end Todd of Dakota. it. Much better. Handle it. <laughs> Much better than without the age. Exactly. Lily, oh, yeah. where are you? Uh, I am usually at my desk at Condé Nast Traveler, but you can also find me at Lilith Marcus, L-I-L-I-T-M-A-R-C-U-S, on Twitter, and Lilith Goes on Instagram. That's great. And I am at Bradrick. That's it for us. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.